Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. As most of you know, since COVID-19, all of my live classes and teaching tours were canceled as of March 13th, 2020, Friday the 13th, (laughs) not surprisingly. Well, with that, what to do for courses, what to do for teaching. I've been teaching for 30 years. I've had live students in front of me pretty much every day of the week for three decades. So I really miss it. And I thought, well, maybe I could teach a class online. So I decided to teach a multi-quarter class on St. Paul the Apostle. We began in the fall in September, and we're now in our third quarter, covering all of St. Paul's epistles and letters. If you're interested, go to my website, LogosBibleStudy.com, click on Featured Course, and I'd be happy to have you join us. Every week, I send out two video lessons to all the people registered in class. And every Saturday morning from 10 o'clock until noon, we have a live Zoom session where we can all get together and talk about the lessons of that week. We can ask questions, we can meet each other, and really get to know each other face-to-face, more or less, on a computer screen. It's not live teaching, but it's a lot of fun nonetheless. I mention it because this past Saturday in our office hours, one of our students asked me, how did you get into teaching to begin with? Well, that was a long story. Growing up, I had no interest in teaching, no interest in education, uh, none at all. I was obsessed by bodybuilding and martial arts, and uh, that's what I did. But after my time in the Marine Corps, I became really attracted to literature. I began reading. I hadn't read much before, but I had plenty of time uh, during my time in the Marine Corps to do a lot of reading, and I did. So I began taking a class at Arizona Western College in Yuma, Arizona, where I was stationed, and a class in American literature. And that really began the journey. I spent 13 years in college, undergraduate, two master's degrees, and a PhD. And I met many very good teachers during that time, two in particular that really shaped my teaching and my approach to teaching, and my relationship with teaching. The first was Dr. Nick Salerno. The very first class I took as an undergraduate after I got out of the Marine Corps at Arizona State University was an introduction to English literature, and Nick was the teacher. And I remember sitting in the second row on his left and watching him teach. He was a fabulous teacher. He could hold the class spellbound for the entire class period. I remember taking a class from him on Victorian poetry. We had 35 people in class Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 10 o'clock, and he would read Victorian poetry. He would teach a poem, and a third of the students in class would be weeping openly at what he was saying and doing. It was just fabulous. And I thought at that time, I want to teach like that. 
I want to teach like Nick. The other big influence I had was Dr. Jack Evans. He taught Milton and Shakespeare. And Jack and I became very close friends over the years. In fact, uh, Jack and his wife are my children's godparents, and uh, Jack passed away a few years ago. But we were friends for 48 years. And Jack was a seminar teacher. He was not a lecturer, someone who could stand up in front of a large audience and hold the crowd spellbound. But he was very, very good, one-on-one -on -one and in a seminar format. But more importantly, Jack was the most genuinely good man I have ever known. Jack is the one who brought me in to the Catholic Church, not by anything he said, but by his example. So those two people, Nick and Jack, really laid the foundation for my whole teaching career. And quite fortunately, I spent almost 30 years on the English department faculty at UCLA. And I loved my academic career. I loved everything about it. I loved the teaching. I loved the, my colleagues. I loved my scholarship and writing. And I loved having lunch at the faculty club every day. It was a wonderful life. And you know, when I would talk to Nick and Jack, and they would tell me stories about their teaching, and I would watch their careers as they developed over time, I thought, that's, that's exactly what I want to do. And thanks be to God, God opened the doors, and I was able to do that. They provided a really fine example. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because as we're moving on our way through Matthew, we put into Matthew 10. And I noted last time that Jesus was teaching his disciples what they needed to know to get the gospel message out to the world. He was teaching them by example, by his teaching, by his actions, by his relationship with them, and Jesus' relationship with the crowds. They were learning by observing, much as I did with Jack and Nick. Well, now we come to chapter 10. And Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So he gave them authority to do what he was doing. And I remember my very first university class as a teacher. And I, I was so eager, but boy, I was nervous too. And, uh, and I remember walking from my office down to the second floor in the Language and Literature Building and uh, just really nervous. This was at Arizona State University. I was a teaching assistant. And I walked down those stairs with Nick Salerno. And we stopped at the bathroom, as you always do. Trust me. Before you walk into class, use the bathroom. And we did. And then we began walking down the hallway toward our classrooms. And I said, Nick, do you have any last-minute advice for me? And Nick said, yes. When you put your hand on the classroom doorknob, look down and make sure your fly's up. <laughs> well, to this very day, before I walk into class and get mic'd up, 
That's what I do. Stop at the bathroom and then look down and make sure things are where they should be. Well, it was good advice. Jesus said to his disciples, he gave them advice too. He gave them authority to teach, and now they're going to. Here they are, the 12 disciples who later become the apostle. A disciple is one who follows. An apostle is one who is sent. So they've been following him as disciples, but now they're going to go out as apostles. And these are their names. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. In every list of the disciples, Peter and Andrew come first. Then, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. James and John were Jesus' cousins. Jesus' mother Mary was sister or sister-in-law to the mother of John and Andrew. I'm sorry, John and uh, James. So they were relatives. They come next in the list. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Now notice in the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew admits that he was a hated tax collector, a pariah, an outcast among the Jewish people. Someone looked down upon, someone they would throw stones at when he walked by. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In every list of the apostles, Peter and Andrew come first, Judas comes at the end. Now, Jesus gathered them all together, and he gave them their marching orders. Now, before I taught my very first class, Nick gave me some very good advice. And I had other advice from other teachers, from Jack and, and others. But listen to the advice Jesus gives his disciples. He went out with the following, he sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. At this point in Jesus' career, in his public ministry, he is focused solely on the Jewish community. Not Gentiles, not Samaritans. Samaritans in the Central Mountain Range who had been part of the northern kingdom of Israel, who was taken captive? Who were taken captive by the Assyrian Empire in 722 uh, BC? When they returned, trickling in, they brought with them vestiges of the Assyrian religions. So they were viewed as second class at best. Now later, Jesus will meet a Samaritan woman by a well, and he'll engage with her, but not here. Jesus is not saying, never speak to a Gentile, never speak to a Samaritan. No. But now, when you're going out on your first excursion to teach, focus on your fellow Jews. Never mind the Gentiles or the Samaritans. In Jesus' mind, I'm thinking, they'll come later. Your job is to go to the lost sheep of Israel. That is, go to the easiest set of people first. And as you go, preach this message. 
the kingdom of heaven is near. That is, it's bearing down upon us. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. All these things that he's given them authority to do. Now do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. That is, don't sit down and work six months on a plan. Don't worry about those things. Just get out there and get to work. Keep moving, get to work, and things will take care of themselves. Now, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. Don't make a big deal of it. They're going to go from town to town in Galilee. And we've already noted that the historian Josephus said at that time there were 240 towns and villages. Now, Jesus had been through most of them. How many did he go through? I don't know, but I imagine most. And now they're going to the very same towns. So they're going to be bringing the same message and doing the same kind of things. So they're not going into unexplored territory. The people in those towns will know or know of Jesus already. So when you get there and you're traveling by foot, Go to a home. If it's welcoming you, stay there. Don't upgrade to another place. Stay there. Respect the hospitality. When you enter, give it your greeting. Let your peace rest on it. Otherwise, don't push it. Go somewhere else. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town, and I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment than for that town. So if you're not welcome in that town, just keep right on moving. Shake the dust off your feet and keep right on going. Now, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You know, Jesus had been out in those towns, in those villages. People, for the most part, were drawn to him, were enthused about his teaching. But there were others who were not so much. Now remember when Jesus goes back to Nazareth and he teaches there, they're going to throw him off a cliff. So he's telling his disciples, look, when you go out, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. There will be opposition. And if that's the case, deal with it shrewdly. That is, don't confront it. Don't punch the guy in the nose. Just deal with it shrewdly, as innocent as doves. Now, be on your guard because they'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. And on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, 
don't worry about what to say or how to say it, because at that time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Well, I, if I were one of the disciples, I'd be a little bit worried with that. Okay, I know I'll go to a town, there'll be some opposition. They accompanied Jesus to those towns, and surely there was opposition, as there was in Nazareth. But wait a minute. They'll hand you over to councils, flog you? You'll be brought before governors and kings? And when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say? Don't, don't lawyer up? <laughs> you know, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say? You'll know what to say at the time. Now, I remember a friend of mine, a pastor, who took that quite literally. And he said, you know, I never prepare my sermons or homilies. I just read the material, and then I get up there and let the Spirit guide me in what to say. Well, I can tell you, friends, that doesn't work. If you're in front of that congregation, or you're in front of that class, or you're in front of that audience, and you haven't prepared, the Holy Spirit will be up there in the corner of the room and laughing at you as you twist in the wind to make a fool of yourself in front of your class. No. Prepare for sure. Prepare. But if you've prepared, which they have, they've been taught by Jesus over a pretty lengthy period of time, they've watched his example, they've watched him work, they've learned from it. So that's what they'll do. And if you've got a difficulty, you'll be prepared to deal with it. The Holy Spirit will see that you are. Not, never mind preparing, just get out there and wing it. No, I don't think so. But listen to this. Brother will betray brother to death. A father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's even more frightening. Brother will betray brother, father, his child, children, their parents, and have them put to death. Will that happen? Well, not at this moment, but certainly, <coughs> excuse me, certainly Jesus will be put to death and every one of the 12 will die as martyrs, except John and Judas Iscariot, who hangs himself. A price comes with the task. And as history rolls out, there will be martyr after martyr after martyr. Now, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Jesus knows these things are going to happen to him. So what do you think is going to happen to the disciples? It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If the head of the house had been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. If they crucify me, what do you think they'll do to you? So don't be, af don't be afraid of them. 
There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. There'll be a price to pay for your career here. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be a Casper milk toast. Get out there, stand on your feet, proclaim the message. Have courage. Have determination. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. How important do you think you are in the Father's eyes? Very important. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. He pays attention to everything. Think of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Before I was even conceived in the womb, you knew me through and through. I was a, an idea as a unique, distinct individual in the mind of God before time began. So do you think if you are that important to God that he'll not watch over you in this task? Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. I don't like that verse, chapter 10, verse 30, because I wake up in the morning and every morning I give God a, an arithmetic problem to do. <laughs> so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I'll disown him before my Father. Make me proud of you. When you go out, you, get, you take the message out to these towns and villages in Galilee. Make me proud of you. Don't back down. Don't become a coward. Don't zip it up because you're afraid. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. If people follow my teaching, if people follow my example, even people in their own family will disown them. Does that happen? It sure does. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I've chosen you to do this job. And I know there's going to be great trouble as a result. Have courage. Stand up. Don't be afraid. Press on. Always forward. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. 
And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. I'll be watching. I'll be watching how people react to you, how people respond to you. And I will take care of you right to the very end. When you are standing before God the Father in my presence, I will acknowledge you. But if you go out there and you cut and run, or you go out there and you trim back on the message because you're, well, you're afraid, you're nervous about it. Well, when we're standing there before the Father, I will turn and look at you and just shake my head. Well, he didn't quite cut it. Now, what do, we, what do we make of this? These guys, these 12 disciples, are going out for the first time on their own. Jesus gives them instructions and warnings. You know, I was given advice before I went out on my own as a teacher, and it was good advice. And I was told by word and example that if I prepared, if I worked hard, if I showed up on time every class meeting, no matter where it was or what time it was. And you know, over the years, that, that's, that's a big part of, of my teaching with Logos. You know, nine classes a week all over Southern California and Arizona. 80% of the job is just showing up in class. You know, you got to get there, driving 500 miles to get to class and showing up, teaching class, and getting the job done. I, I knew that. And Jesus is telling his disciples the very same thing. Get out there and do it. Well, I was given good advice by word and example that if I did a good job, I would be appointed to a full-time professorial position. I would have my office, I would have my students, I would have privileges on campus, I would have grants and fellowships to take me places to do research. All these good things would follow. And you know, in almost 30 years of teaching at UCLA, they did. But what if I was told this? Go out there, show up for class, teach class. They're going to hate you. They're going to beat you up. They're going to, they're going to TP your house. They're going to puncture your tires. I don't know if I want to get into that career. So I can imagine Jesus' disciples, after this, dare we call it a pep talk, uh, being all enthusiastic to get out there and get the job done. But Jesus tells them the truth. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now, go to it, and I'll be very eager to talk with you when you get back. And I'll be eager to talk with all of you come Wednesday. So, thank you for being here. Thank you for all the time we spend together. And uh, you in my podcast audience, uh, if you would like to join up with us for St. Paul the Apostle, his epistles and letters, it's our third quarter 
And if you sign up for the class now, you will get all the video lessons from the first and second quarter as well. So you can catch up on the whole thing. And that would be great fun. And I would love to meet many of you. We've got thousands of people here listening to the podcast, and it would be wonderful to have you in the Zoom office hours on Saturday morning from 10 to 12. Okay, I'll be with you again on Wednesday. Blessings to you. Bye-bye now.